Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Pastor Zach Neese. So let's just do a little bit of review. Over the last few weeks, we've been asking questions like, what time is it? Um, who are you? Anybody remember the answer to that? Who are you, by the way? All right, very good. Excellent. Um, what's your job? To carry the presence of God. Hey, you guys remember? Who knows your job? Carry the presence? I just said that. What else? Minister to God. Yep, tabernacling and to bless the people. What we talked about last week, we talked about ministering to God. And and basically that's worship, right? And when you boil worship down, one of the best definitions of worship in the Bible is the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord with all. To love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, all your passion, all you got, all your muchness. To love and to submit to the Lordship of God with everything you've got. That's worship, right? And today, we're going to talk about uh, something else. We're going to talk about how do I carry the presence of God. And we're going to talk about, it's interesting um, that we were just talking about the Lord filling Eleanor up, you know. He burst in. He filled her up, she said. We're going to talk about carrying that presence. How do I consecrate myself as a presence carrier, right? But before we do that, and this maybe is just ironic, but did you guys know that according to the Jewish calendar, we are smack in the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles? From last a couple days ago, Friday night to next Friday, is the Feast of Tabernacles. In Hebrew, the word is Sukkot, and it means booths. It's the Feast of Booths, and it's a celebration and a prayer for the harvest. How many of you are praying for the harvest? We are in the middle of praying for harvest time. I'm not talking about your corn. I'm not talking about your wheat. I'm talking about souls. I'm talking about a God who wants souls, a God who's not satisfied with his house being empty because he wants his children there, praying for the harvest. Don't forget to pray for what's on God's heart is to harvest the people he cares about. This week, we pray for the harvest. Uh, The Feast of Tabernacles is also a feast where they pray for rain. How many of you are praying for a new rain in the church? It's called the latter rain. It's the last rain to bring in the harvest. You know what we need to be praying for this week is the final rain of God that will prepare for that harvest that brings in souls. That's where we are right now. And Tabernacles is a, is a reminder that the people of Israel were slaves once. Anybody here? A slave once? Yeah? Just this guy right here? I was a slave. I was a slave to sin. I was a mess. I was a wreck. I couldn't control myself. My passions had control of me. I was a slave to the things that had me held down. Anybody else relate to that? You were a slave, my friend, and you've got a God who brought you out of slavery, and you're a sojourner on this earth. That's what the tabernacles are are about. It means there was a whole nation of people who got set free at one time, and they didn't have anywhere to live. So for 40 years, they went through the desert setting up tents with anything they could find. Branches, old old pieces of tin. They didn't have that. Corrugated metal, they didn't have that. Anything they could find. Blankets. You remember when you were a kid and you went, out in the, in the, uh, you went out in the woods and you made forts? This is the Feast of Forts. 
That's basically what it is. And in Israel, they go out and they set up these booths. And they spend the week celebrating, not in their homes, but in these little shacks that they set up to remind them that there is a God whose land I am a true citizen of, and this ain't it. And to remind them that there is a God who wants to booth with me. He wants to tabernacle with me. He wants to meet with me. And it's not always in the place where civilized people meet. Sometimes you got to get outside of the boundaries in order to meet Jesus. You know what I'm saying? This is the Feast of Tabernacles. And maybe it's just coincidence. Um, Einstein said that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. <laughs> Albert Einstein said that. Coincidence is God's way of, of working incognito. <laughs> just so you're not always sure it's God, but I'm telling you, it, it's God that today we're going to talk about tabernacles, okay? Anybody ready? I believe you, somebody over here, somebody over there, I believe, and I believe you. Anybody else ready? Okay, let's begin. Uh, like I said, I didn't get much sleep, so I need your help, and if I say something that's stupid, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Even with no sleep, I am sharp as a spoon. So let's dig in. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we need your help today. And I pray that you would bring understanding in this house. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts so that we would love what you love, so that we would despise what you despise, so that we would turn from the things that your heart loathes, that we would break for the things that break you, your heart. Lord, we submit ourselves right now. I pray that you would give us ears to hear you, in fact, if that's, if that's you, if you want to hear what God has to say to you, just put your hands up and surrender. I want to hear what you have for me to hear today. I want my heart to be changed the way you want it to be changed. I want my mind to be changed the way you want it to be changed, and I don't want to leave this room the same way I came in. Does anybody agree with that? Amen. And, Lord, I need your help because I didn't get much sleep, because I'm kinda, so I'm kind of punch drunk. So I, I ask, Lord, that you would give me clarity of thought and eloquence of speech and anointing in the name of Jesus. And even if I'm weak, you're strong. And even if I don't say it right, you can speak through your spirit. So I pray you would in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to show you an excellent promise. This is out of Exodus 29, verse 44 through 46. Whenever I find a good promise in the Bible, I'm like, God, you said right? God, you said. So here's an excellent promise. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting. In the King James, that's tabernacle. We think of that as a religious word, right? I'm going to show you in just a minute. This isn't a religious word. We think of this as like, as like a, a holy roller church, the first church of the, of the big bright tabernacle of St. Louis or whatever. This is not a religious word. I will consecrate the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Okay? That's three things. He says, I'm going I'm to consecrate a meeting place. I'm going to consecrate an altar. I'm going to consecrate a priesthood. Right? We've been talking about that. Then, here's the promise. I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, that's slavery, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Anybody catch that? Then I will dwell. Does anybody want this? Anybody? Wait, wait, I want that. I want God, I want God to dwell in my house. I want my kids to know that they have lived with the Almighty God. 
I want, I want the people in my neighborhood to know that there's a God in their neighborhood. I want the people in my nation to have to acknowledge that there's a God in the United States of America. You can deny it all day long, but you're going to look like a fool because everybody knows there's a God in America because he dwells there. That's what I want. I will dwell among you and be your God. They will know that I am the Lord their God. That's a knowing beyond reason. You can't argue me out of that knowing because God dwells with me. Who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. Let me ask you a question. What does it sound like God wants here? Hey, that's, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Say it a little louder. What does God want? That's right. You know what? God is a father a lot like me. I don't know if you guys are fathers like this, but I'm, I'm not happy when I don't have my kids in the house. Right now, one of my sons is in uh, Texas, and the rest of my children are here, and I feel like there's something missing. Do you understand? And when Christmas rolls around, if I have one of my kids who's not there, I feel like there's, there's something missing. It's not right. I'm a father who wants my house full. I'm a father who wants my family around me. I'm a father who wants to dwell with his family. And this is exactly what God's saying. He's saying, you know what I want? I want to be with you guys. I really want to be with my children. I want to be with my family. I want my home full. He says, God dwells where there are three things. And let me just uh, tell you what these are real quick. It says, if you consecrate, if you set apart, if you sanctify, if you hallow or make holy, these three things. One, a priesthood. Who are you? That's exactly right. You know what priests do? Priests teach the world to worship. Priests teach the world to have relationship with God. Priests walk around like this, remember, and they walk around like this, and they draw the two together so that God and the world can have relationship. Te priests Worship God and teach other people to worship God. Relate to God and teach other people to relate to God. Minister to God and teach other people to minister to God. He says, I'm going to consecrate a priesthood. I'm going to set them apart. Priesthood, you are set apart. You are consecrated. You are holy for a sacred assignment to connect heaven and earth. He says, I'm going to consecrate an altar. An altar is a way to worship God. That's what we were talking about last week. Consecrating a way to worship God. Not just I'm going to come and sing a song, but I'm going to live in a way that worships God, right? That means I'm not just the priest. I'm the altar too. I'm the place where worship happens. Right here. I got a problem. I got a little schizophrenia issue. I'm the priest, and I work at the altar, and I'm both. I'm the priest, and I'm the altar. You are walking, breathing, talking worship, and he wants to set you apart in order to be worship in the world you walk in. That's how you transform the planet. And the last thing is a tabernacle. A tabernacle is, a, a, is just a meeting place. So during this whole COVID thing, we were locked down for months and uh, I don't know how many of you have big families, but, you know, there's eight of us in our house. Eight people locked in a house. Yeah, yeah, every, everybody survived. How crazy is that? So you know what we did? I don't remember if it was Jen or if it was me that came up with an idea to pitch a tent in the backyard and call it the tent of meeting. <laughs> we pitched a tent in the backyard, and if you just needed to get away, because eight people, hey, 
It happens. Folks need to get away. If you just need to get away, there's a tent of meeting in the backyard. If you need to go and spend some time alone with Jesus, there's a tent of meeting in the backyard. If you need to go out there and play solitaire, there's a tent of meeting in the backyard. And there are many times that I looked out and Jennifer was in the tent of meeting. <laughs> Chair has spent a lot of time in the tent of meeting. Sometimes they spent the night in the tent of meeting. We set, we, we set something up that was for meeting people and for meeting God right in our yard. That's really what this word means. The word tabernacle in Hebrew is not a fancy word. There's two words that they use. One is ohel and one is mishkan, and they both basically mean the same thing. It means a tent. When it says, I'm going to, when God says, I'm going to consecrate a tabernacle, he says, I'm going to consecrate a tent. That's not fancy. I'm going to consecrate a tent. Why would he say that? Because these are a bunch of people who are wandering for 40 years through the desert. What do they live in? Hello. They live in tents. He's talking to a bunch of nomads. When you talk to a nomad, you don't say house because they don't have a house. They've got a tent. He says, I want to consecrate a tent because that's where nomads live. It's their home. It's their dwelling place. He's saying, I'm going to consecrate a dwelling place. I want you to consecrate a home for me so that I can live with you. In other words, when you guys are setting up your tents, make sure to set up a tent for me too. Because I want to be with you. This is what I want more than anything else on earth is to be with you. This is the whole ministry of Christ to make sure that God had a tent with his people to make sure that God had a place to be with the kids he loves. God just wants to be with you. Can you imagine that? You and I, we know ourselves, right? So, so when you're alone by yourself, you're like, why would God want to be with me? I know myself. But God adores you. He sees you in from your beginning. He treats you and loves you like you're glorified already. He treats you and loves you covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees a you that you don't even see. And he wants to be with you more than you do. He adores you. That also is a ministry of Christ. So this tabernacle thing, this is an important theme all the way through the Bible. And I'm going to show you in just a second. But before we get there, I want to ask you a question. If you were God and you were going to send your son to be the savior of the universe, right? You're going to send him down in human form to be the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What kind of home would you send him to? If you were going to send your son to be the high priest, king of kings, lord of lords, what kind of earthly father would you send him to? Understanding that whatever that father does, your son is going to be mentored and apprenticed in. Whatever that father does, your son is going to become a master of. What kind of father would you send your kid to? Whether you know it or not, your parents... Work has something to do with who you are. My dad was a soldier, and it has something to do with who I am. My dad was a doctor, and it has something to do with who I am. My dad was an athlete, and he was a Gideon. All those have something to do with who I am and how I look at the world. Who did God send his son to? I would think I'd send him to a priest's house, right? Because he's going to be the priest. He's going to be the high priest. Or I would send him maybe to one of the royals because he's going to be the king of kings, right? I would send him to a politician or a Pharisee's house because he's, he's going to be, the government of the nations is going to be on his shoulders. He's got to learn how to lead. But our God don't think like you and me. He thinks things that sound crazy to us. 
What did Jesus' father do? He was a carpenter. That's exactly right. God sent his son to a carpenter's house. Why would you do that? So I didn't understand this until I understood the word carpenter. See, the word carpenter in, in, uh, in the Greek doesn't mean the same thing that we think of. When I think of a carpenter, I think of a guy, you know, we were just out yesterday helping the tanners set, build decks, and, uh, and the kids were using nail guns and table saws and hammering and, and getting covered with sawdust. And we think of a carpenter as a guy who makes a deck or a table, you know, maybe he makes a chair. That's not what the word carpenter means in Greek. In Greek, the word is tekton. And it means someone who makes beautiful things out of hard things. Anybody hear a hard thing? <laughs> y'all are liars and hard things. Anybody, I'm going to ask these guys because y'all are liars. Anybody over here a hard thing? All right, 42. What about the middle? Anybody hear a hard thing? Wants to be made into a beautiful thing. I'll, I'll give you guys a second chance. Anybody over here a hard thing that wants to be made into a beautiful thing? There's a carpenter for you. There's a tecton for you guys. Tectons didn't just work in wood. They worked in stone too. They were like masons. They did all of it. In fact, another word for a tecton is a craftsman. A master craftsman. Jesus interned with a master craftsman. He became a master craftsman. And here's, here's the one that opened up my brain. When I finally came to understand this meaning of the word tecton, a tecton is a builder. A tecton is like a contractor. Now, if you were the God of all the universe and you wanted to send your son to a father who would prepare him to build atmospheres where heaven and earth could relate to one another, to build atmospheres where the father could be with his children, to build a church. If you were the God of the universe and wanted to send your son to earth in order to intern him to become a master of building meeting places, you put him with a tecton. God's a genius. Jesus Christ spent his life becoming a master at building houses building temples, building synagogues. This is what Jesus builds. He builds houses, temples, synagogues, schools, places of government and palaces. This is what Jesus does. He's the tecton. And he's not just an apprentice tecton. He's a master. He knows how to build his church. And he knows how to build his temple. And he knows how to build his house. Now let's look at a few of these passages of scripture from the perspective of the tecton now, okay? Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus is talking to Peter. Listen to the master tecton. He says, I tell you that you, Peter, that you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Ah, now the tecton is talking. I'm going to build my church on the declaration that Jesus Christ is the son of God. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, by the way. Once Jesus builds something, it doesn't get unbuilt. Jesus doesn't build things that fall. Jesus' kingdom is without end. John 14, 1 through 3, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus, the tecton. My father's house has many rooms. 
If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? He's not talking about making the bed. He's talking about building on an addition to the house so you can come and live with the Father. This is what the tecton is talking about. I will go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Why? Because God wants to dwell with you because you're his child. So Jesus is going to add on to the house so that there'll be room for you. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. This is tecton talk. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You and I are like living stones, and we've got a God who's a tecton, who knows how to fit stone with stone. And when he's together, he takes you. You're not just, you're not, not just granite. You're not just sandstone. You're not just marble. You're sardis. You're a ruby. You're a diamond. You are precious stones. And he puts us together, and then fills this structure with his Holy Spirit so the glory of the Lord shines through us like a stained glass window to the earth, and the earth sees the glory of of God reflected through you, his living stones, built into a spiritual house. Are you guys okay? Am I just a geek? Because this stuff makes me feel so good. I'm like, I understand Jesus now. Ephesians 2, 20 through 22, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We're carefully joined together in him. This is tecton talk. Becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles, if you're not Jewish, this is you. I'm not Jewish, by the way. I'm Scots-Irish. If it weren't for Jesus, I would never get into heaven. <laughs> know thyself through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit do you see the tecton do you see him talking about building us into dwelling places then Hebrew 3, Hebrews 3 3 through 4 and, and verse 6 also Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. He's talking to the Jews, and Moses is their highest, most highly honored prophet. Jesus has been found more worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are are his house. Anybody out going, I understand Jesus. He's a home builder and I'm a home. Oh my gosh. This is God sending his son and training him and teaching him in a way to build meeting places. And this means that the meeting place was never about the building. It was always about the building. This is why it's so important that you and I learn to live in unity with one another. We tear down our own building. How does God dwell in a ruin that we've created? 
But when we dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands a blessing, even everlasting life, the Bible says. So you and I, we're the dwelling place. How many of you guys right now are thinking, boy, I would like to be a dwelling place for God. That would be kind of cool. How do, how do I become a dwelling place? Anybody thinking that right now? I would, I would, show me your hand if you would like to be a dwelling place for God. Some of you guys are hotels he visits. <laughs> you said that? I can't believe. I didn't point fingers at any, oh. <laughs> Some of you are hotels. I don't want to be a hotel. I want to be a dwelling place. I don't want to be a Motel 6. I don't want to be a Roach Motel. I want to be a dwelling place. I want to be a home. What do we do? I'm going to show you an episode in the Bible, and I want to explain it to you. And I want to show you how God begins coming into a house, okay? Now, this, is, this episode is a little bit intimidating to some people, and let me just tell you, the first step to you becoming a dwelling place of God is you wanting to be a dwelling place. <laughs> just, I want you to live here. And once you, once you want the Lord to live more closely with you, what happens is you begin to make choices that host God. If you have me over to your house for dinner and you want me to stay, there are certain things you don't serve me because I don't like them. Right? There are certain things you don't serve me because I'm allergic to them. And if you want the Lord to show up and to hang around, there are certain things you don't serve him because he doesn't like them. There are certain things you don't serve him because he's allergic to them. If you want to be a home for the Lord, host him. Invite him. Make him welcome. So we're going to look at an episode that seems like it's nothing like that. This is Jesus basically remodeling his house. And it's really misunderstood. Matthew 21, 12 through 13. You guys remember the episode of Jesus coming into the temple. And it looks like he just starts to make a complete mess, right? He just starts to just jack stuff up and and throw tables around. And, And one time he even makes a whip out of some cords and he goes and starts driving people out. And there are a lot of people who have misunderstood this and they think that Jesus is having a temper tantrum. But Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit, and one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So it's impossible for Jesus to have a temper tantrum because he is the spirit of self-control. Jesus never has temper tantrums. In fact, I was talking to somebody this week, and they said they had a friend who's all about these riots and all this stuff. Uh, and if you're all about the riots, I'm, I'm not... I don't want, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to this guy, okay? He's all about the riots. They're like, he's like, Jesus walked into the temple. Sometimes you just got to go in and start tearing things up if you're going to start over. Well, my friend, you ain't Jesus, and you ain't nothing like Jesus. You ain't nothing like Jesus. You don't even understand what he was doing there. He wasn't trying to start a riot. Listen, if you walk into your house and you want to tear up your house, you have the right to do it. That's Jesus' house. You can tear up your house all you want. That's your house. You better stay out of my house. <laughs> what was Jesus really doing? Let, let me give you a little backstory. I'm going to tell you where this is in the Bible. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a long, a long passage, but I'm just going to explain it to you, okay? This is in Deuteronomy chapter 14, just in case you don't think I'm telling you the truth. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 26. And God is setting up provision to help his people worship him if they come from a long way away. 
Now, this is just after they've been brought out of captivity, right? And they're all together in the wilderness. But God knows that his people are going to multiply and they're going to cover the face of the earth. They're going to be all over the place. And he gives them instructions that they're supposed to pay their tithe to him. And every three years, they're supposed to bring it to Jerusalem. So let me ask you a question. If the tithe is the firstborn and the 10% of your herds and your flocks and your wine and your grain, and you get blessed and you live 500 miles away in this day, there ain't no such thing as a U-Haul, man. How are you going to get your offering to Jerusalem? So God is wise and he's kind. And he understands driving sheep that far will drive anybody batty. You don't want to try to drive a flock 500 miles and get there in time for the celebration. So this is what he says. He says, I want you to take your tithe and your offerings and I want you to sell it. Get the best price that you can get and then travel with your family to Jerusalem. And when you get to Jerusalem, I want you to buy anything you want to I want you to buy sheep, the best you can get. I want you to buy offerings of doves and cattle. I want you to buy wine and grain. And then come in and bring it to me as an offering and celebrate it and have a party and eat it with your family. Which is what we do here every weekend, by the way. We're celebrating and having a party with our family. And part of what allows this to happen is the tithe that comes in, right? So God is making provision for his people to travel a long way and worship him. Now, why is Jesus upset about what's going on in the temple? Because people have to come from all over the world to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. They have been saving the best of their best to give it to God because they love him and he's a king worthy of the best. By the way, there's no such thing as bringing mediocre offerings to God. That's not an offering. You cannot bring a lame offering to God. In fact, the Bible actually says, don't bring me a lame offering. Don't bring, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we're just a lame offering. Man, sometimes I'm leading worship and just to be honest, I'm like, you guys, come on, that's a lame offering. Don't, don't bring them a lame offering. You got better than that. I know you can't sing well, but you can sing loud. That's what I do. So just bring them the best you got. So they're selling their best. They're taking the coin and they're traveling to Jerusalem. Now, if you consider this, people are traveling from all over the Roman world at the time, all over the known world, and they're coming to Jerusalem. So when they come into the temple, they've got the best of their best, and they're so excited. They're about to rejoice in the Lord with their family, and they're bringing their offering. They love God, and they want to show him how much they love him. But when they get in, they're not allowed to bring any kind of offering with just these coins. First, they have, to, they have to trade their coin for the currency of the temple. Oh, man. So they're money changers in the temple. And these money changers are exchanging money. And I want you to know, I've been, I've been all over the world, and the, and the typical exchange rate, like if you go to Japan or Israel or the UK or, you know, Brazil or whatever, is 1% to 3%, something like that, okay? These guys are charging about 8%. That's two and a half times a reasonable profit. And they're doing it to the people of God 
So what's happened is you're bringing the best of your best. You have to walk up to a money changer because they won't take your coins. So you have to trade them in for temple coins. So once you trade them, you automatically lose almost a full tithe of your tithe. You have just been robbed. And if you imagine what your mind is like, you're so happy to come and worship God. And then you show up and they rob you right off the bat. By the way, where do they rob you? In the house of God. And who do you think is running this show? The priests. Then you have to take the coins that they give you and you have to go to one of the booths where they sell animals because you have to sacrifice a lamb or you have to sacrifice a dove or cattle. Or maybe you had, you had a lot of things. You have to purchase all of these things. And you know, they didn't have the best sheep there and they didn't have the best cattle and they didn't have the best wine and they cranked their prices up. So you got robbed at the first table and then you come to buy offerings and you get robbed again at the second table. By the time you go to bring your offering to the Lord, you no longer have the best of your best you have a lame offering in your hand and you've been robbed. By the way, God's been robbed too. Now, what does Jesus have the right to do in his own house? Let me ask you a question. Gentlemen, if you were coming home from a trip, you'd been away for a little while, and you walked into your house, and you found somebody robbing your wife and your children, what do you have the right to do? You're going to skin that smoke wagon, or are you just going to stand there and bleed? That's my house. That's my wife. Those are my children. You're in my house with my wife, my children, robbing them, abusing them, victimizing them. Bro, you better have brought lead because I did. You understand? What does he have the right to do in his own house? Now, let me set this up for you. This is what's going on in the house of God. This is why Jesus walks in there that way. And Jesus has just come down off of the Mount of Olives. And you remember the episode. He sent his disciples down to get a donkey. They brought back this donkey that had never been ridden before, a foal. And the, he gets on the donkey, and he's riding in. And people from all over the region, because they've come from all over the Roman world, there are thousands of people out there crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to God in the highest. You know what Hosanna means? It means save us. They're crying out for a savior. Their king is coming into the city. For the first time, their king is coming into the city. They're waving palm branches. They're taking their best coats and throwing them on the ground for Jesus to tread on, to make a path of glory for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes in triumphal entry, the king into the city. By the way, he goes through the king's gate because he's the king. And the first place he goes is his house, his temple, his throne, his kingdom, his palace. He walks into his house. And what does he have the right to do when the king shows up in the king's house? Now do you understand? Now let me read this. Mark eleven fifteen through 18. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. 
and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Now we understand why. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, by the way, this was not a temper tantrum. This was a lesson from a master teacher. He was teaching them a very good lesson. As he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. It was Passover. All nations were there in his house. A house of prayer is a house of open communication between heaven and earth, a place where you can talk with God and God can talk to you. It's a meeting place. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Ooh, buddy. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. (laughs) For they feared him. They feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. He was teaching. I want to ask you a question. If I'm going to be a dwelling place for the Most High, what am I willing to do with the things that are robbing my relationship of Him? What am I willing to do with the things that are stealing from God and stealing from me? What am I willing to do with the things that are causing this house of prayer to become a den of robbers? You want to know how to be a dwelling place for the Most High? Let Him do a little remodeling. What happens when the king comes in? You can generally tell when the king comes into your heart because suddenly you don't mind if he starts remodeling. That's how you can tell. If the king's not in your heart, you want to hold on to all of your precious things. Now, I'm going to teach you something like Jesus did. You ready for this? You guys want to bring that out for me? This is a great lesson. I'm going to give you a new definition of worship if you're ready for it, okay? Let me get that for you. All right, see what we got here. All right, what's this? Thanks, guys. Yeah, look it up. We've got all kinds of interesting stuff here. We've got forks and knives back here, forks and spoons. We have silverware. We've got a Yahtzee game. We've got a computer. We've got some clothes, Frisbee, purse, video games, some uh, bona fide cash here. <laughs> we've got uh, basketball. We've got a book. We've got, stay there, boy. We got some food over here. We have some video games. We have some movies. What is all this stuff? It's just stuff, man. That's exactly right. You're a genius. Give yourself a high five. This is, this is just stuff, right? Look, look there's, 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 there's no illicit drugs on the table, okay? Um, I don't know how you feel about alcohol, but I don't see any of that on here. It's not what we're talking about. There's, I mean, Pornhub's not on the table, right? This is just stuff. This is just regular, just stuff, right? But the question is, what is the stuff in my life 
doing to compete with the voice of God for my ears? It's just stuff until it begins to speak louder than God does. It's just stuff until it be, begins to call me more loudly than the voice of God. You know, I hear people all the time say, I never hear God speak. Well, that's because he whispers and everything else in your, in your life yells. God only talks to people who listen. Unless you want to be one of those people that gets knocked off their donkey and God talks to him that way. Every once in a while that happens. But there's no guarantee and you're going to get back up, okay? So God is a whispering God. He will not compete with the other voices in your life. If you love those voices, he will let you have them. He will let me have the voices. What's competing with my affections for the affections of God. It's just stuff, right? Look, uh, this, this is a laptop. How, how, how much does the screen call to you? How much of our affections are dominated by our screen time? But I've, look, I've got, I've got this little God in my pocket right here. Pretty picture of my little girl. You know what this is? This is, a, this is a phone. Really, that's what we use it for in the minority, right? Very rarely do we use it as a phone. This, this, is, um, this is a portal. This is a door. This is a fact faucet. It is a fun faucet. It's an entertainment faucet. It's a porn faucet, if you want it to be. This is a faucet to all things. How loud is it in your ears and your heart? How much does it call to you? I'm telling you right now, we've got an entire generation of kids that are more in love with this than Jesus Christ. Guys, you will not hear the voice of God if this is louder in your heart. I'm just telling you right now, you got to put it down. Video games, movies, look, none of this stuff is sin. It's just stuff. Food, how many of you guys right now, food is calling pretty loud? Anybody? Yeah? You're like, my stomach's saying cheeseburger sports there are people whose 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 thoughts are dominated by athletics athletics aren't a sin unless they call louder to my heart than god does unless i love them more than i love god purse what about our finances how loudly do my finances speak to me? How loudly do they shout? Books, video games. Guys, you know, my daughter, one of my daughters is 18 years old, and coming up through school, she was like, these guys care more about video games than anything else in the world. Listen, there's nothing more pathetic to a woman than a guy who's in love with a video game. If you want to be an attractive man... I'm talking to you teenage boys, you're never getting married <laughs> unless you decide that a woman's voice is louder than this. <laughs> it's just stuff. None of it's sin. It's just stuff. It's just a collection of things of life. But look, if this table is the table of my heart, and if it's this cluttered, how do I make room for Christ? And how much of my time is taken up by all of this? And how much of my mental space? How much of my affection? How much of the table of my heart is being cluttered and controlled 
by this stuff? That's the question. Am I being robbed? Am, am I complicit? And is God being robbed from something that he wants more than anything else? You. Me. Is God second place to hockey? Really? That's pathetic. Is God second place to a caribou hunt? Just going to speak your language. She's leaving. She's like, I'm out. He said caribou hunt. I'm, I'm done. I'm not listening to this guy anymore. If he brings up salmon, uh, I'm not even going to hear you. Not even going to hear you. Okay, are you guys ready for a new definition of worship? Okay, if, you have a, if, you're, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, okay? This, this is a new definition of worship. Ready? Worship is... That's worship. Look at this. When you see it for what it is, it's just flotsam and jetsam and junk. The things that we prize, the things that we allow to grab our hearts, the things that we allow to soak up our ears, to soak up our affections, flotsam, jetsam, junk. And this is my question. Does God... Does God want to flip any of this stuff off my table? Is any of this stuff stealing from my relationship with him? Can I not hear his voice clearly because of this? And if that's the truth, what am I willing to do in order to live with a king? In order for the father that my heart is always desired to dwell more richly within me? Am I willing to let the tecton clean his own house? Now I want to give you another definition. We said at the very beginning of this, we'd been talking about consecration. This is consecration. Consecration is when I say, Lord, here's the table of my heart. You're welcome to put anything on it you want to. You're welcome to take anything off of it that you want to. I give it to you. If you want me to have a passion for something, put it on there. If you want me not to have a passion for something, just ask me and I'll throw it. I'll toss it. I'll trash it. It's garbage anyway. It burns off like hay. It's not eternal. The word consecration means this. It means to dedicate for divine purpose. Lord, here's my heart, and I want to dedicate it to you today for your divine purpose. Here is the table of communion between myself and my Father. And I want to dedicate it to your divine purpose. Now let's go back and look at that scripture one more time. 
Exodus 29, verse 44 through 46. So I will consecrate, dedicate to divine purpose, the tent of meeting, the tent of meeting, and the altar. And I will consecrate priests. Then I will dwell among them. I've heard that there's a revival coming to Anchorage. I've heard it told that there's a move of God that will move throughout the earth and begin in Anchorage. But is there a consecrated priesthood in Anchorage? Is there a consecrated altar in Anchorage? Is there a consecrated meeting place in Anchorage? You can begin by being the consecrated meeting place. I want to know you more than I've ever known you. I want to hear you better than I've ever heard you. I want to know that you are the Lord, my God, who brought me out of slavery so that you could dwell with me. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who's in you, whom you have received from God, and you're not your own? And Ezekiel 18.31 says, Cast away from you all your transgressions and get yourself a new heart. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Ask him. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What do you want with me, King of Kings? What do you want with me? And then just quietly, if this is your desire like it's my desire, if you want the Lord to dwell more richly with you and in your home, and in your neighborhood and in your city and in your nation. Let's just pray this with me. This heart, Lord Jesus Christ, is yours. Purchased with your blood. You're welcome to put on it whatever you wish. Remove whatever you wish. Please, Lord Jesus, align my affections with your affections. Align my pleasures and my desires with your pleasures and your desires. Let me love what you love. Let me hate what you hate. Let me hear your voice. Let me feel your heartbeat. Give me the strength, Holy Spirit, to flip the tables of anything that robs you of glory. To flip the tables of anything that robs me Father and of dwelling closely with my first love, my Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's just stay in this attitude for a moment.
Lord speak. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.